Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. I am here at Camp Ramah of the Rockies with two really good friends and colleagues, two rabbis, one from Denver and one from Sharon, Massachusetts, Rabbi Solomon Grunwald from Denver and Rabbi Gavriel Goldfeder, formerly from Boulder and now from Sharon, Massachusetts and MIT Hillel. And I am so, it feels so good to re- be reconnecting with both of you. And we've just been sort of chatting about the fact that um, this week's Parsha, Chukat, we see the, the death of a generation in a sense, or at least the, the passing on of leadership of a generation. Both Moses' siblings, Miriam and Aaron, both die in this Parsha. And Moses himself, after this incident of striking the rock rather than talking to the rock, is told very explicitly that he's not going to be the leader to lead B'nai Israel to lead the children of Israel into Eretz Yisrael, into the land of Israel. And so it's um, this extraordinary moment on the brink of a, a transition and it brings up all kinds of questions about what what leadership actually is and when is leadership relevant and when is it irrelevant and when is it time to let go and when is it time to to hang on and all of those kinds of questions so it feels especially juicy I think in this environment where here we are three kind of middle-aged rabbis uh, although none of us love that description but anyway we are um, and I'm the senior of the three of us. But anyway, here we are at Camp Ramah, the most where there are lots of lots of energy of like these these all these staff twenty somethings with like incredible incredible energy, and the campers, of course, themselves from sort of eight years old up to. And it, it's, it's an inspiring environment, and it also brings up questions about like what our role really is. Like, how how are we as rabbis, as Jewish leadership, speaking to this generation? So that's kind of where we're going to go with this, reflecting, and 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 and, and the, you know the fact that Miriam and Aaron and Moses all had such important roles, each connected to different aspects of the spiritual journey that Bnei Yisrael were going through, and they're gone. They're gone either you know literally gone in a physical form or their leadership has gone so it's like brings into question like what happens next so that's not really a question it's a lot of a lot of uh, words but wondering which of you would like to start with a with a response to that idea of transitional leadership or relevant leadership uh, thanks, Mark. It's uh, really wonderful to be here. It's great to also spend some time with you, uh, Rabbi. Um, yeah, just a little little back background that I think is uh, is important for me as I look at this is that uh, a couple parshas ago we were told that uh, the generation that uh, was of age when they left Egypt would not uh, be welcomed into the land of Israel and that uh, they would have to remain in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years until they, uh, they died and the next generation, generation could come in. Um, and I think that it makes perfect sense then that with the, uh, with the central generation or the operative generation uh, not being the ones who left Egypt but really being their children, that of course there would have to be a, uh, a shift in leadership. It only makes sense that people who are somehow 
better aligned with or, or, or configured with the needs and sensitivities of the next generation would be the people who could then uh, lead them in. And that language comes out a little bit later when we get into, I think it's in Parshat Shoftim, when God tells Moses to uh, anoint Joshua as the next as the next leader, and he calls him a Ishasher Ruach Bo, that he's a person who has Ruach in him. And so some, uh, some in Hasidists point out that Moshe was really on the level of Neshama, really on the level of a certain level of soul called Neshama, which is a certain orientation and perspective mm. in the world. It's very inner and very deep. And Joshua's on the level of Ruach. And Joshua was on the level of, uh, of, of, of meeting people on the level of, of mood, of, of, of inclinations and yatzers and, and struggle. Which is something that maybe Moshe wasn't having so much inner struggle. Moshe's struggle was more outer. Maybe Joshua was someone who could then relate to and resonate with the kind of inner struggle that was happening uh, in the next generation. And I think that in this Parsha... Um, you mean like kind of emotional intelligence kind of Yeah, thing. yeah, a different kind of emotional intelligence. And it says, and Rashi says you can go according to the Ruach of each person. So Moshe might have been more Klali, more general, and Joshua was more kind of like... Interpersonal. Interpersonal in a very, in a very kind of like down-to-earth way. And yeah. I just want to end with this. I think that Moshe recognized that, and I think that the, the startling ease with which Moshe did not argue when God said, you're not taking the Jews in the land of Israel... The very next verse, you know, it says that therefore you will not take, uh, um, you will not bring this congregation into that land that I'm giving them. And then two verses later, Moses sends messengers to Kadesh to the king of Edom. Moshe's not arguing at all. It's just next thing. I think Moshe understands that there's an importance of transition. Do you think he accepts it straight away? I, I see no arguments, right? I mean, I think that like later on he wants to see the land, but it's not because he wants to lead the generation. It's just right. because he wants to see the land of Israel. You know? And okay. he just gets right back to work. I mean, the, uh, I have a question. I mean, the one conventional reading of why the people don't go into the land of Israel is that they are, um, you know, they have this slave mentality. They, 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 they complain all the time. They really can't get past that. And so um, this generation needs to die off so that a generation born into freedom can take possession of the land of Israel. I wonder what the same, what the equivalent is for Moshe, Aaron, and, and Miriam. Do they have some some mentality, some way of thinking that needs to be sort of sloughed off before mm -hmm. the next generation can enter? And, and I think, Gabriel, your your comment, I think, speaks to that. Uh, but I wonder what, what you think, um, what's that transition about for them? Like, what is it about Moshe and Aaron and Miriam that... That needs to, that, that has run its course. Right. You know? yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, th I think partly it seems to be a style of leadership that that involves kind of codependence. I mean, yeah. you know, the fact that Miriam dies and immediately the water dries up and the midrash is that she was providing the water. Right. I mean, right. it's time for this generation to find their own water. They can't right. rely on Miriam anymore. Right. And Moshe is the man and Aaron is, is the clouds of glory. Exactly. Like they are like these essential pieces that are all the work. I just want to clarify yeah, that yeah. because it's important what you just said and I want to make sure people understand it. There's this idea that Miriam is connected to water. Moshe is, is connected to the man, which is the manna that came down. And again, it's like this thing that they have to do no work for. It just comes down in this sort of bountiful way. And then Aaron represents Ananeha Kavod, the clouds of glory kind of. And, and he, in a sense, is through the, the ritual of the Kornim, is bringing down the presence of Shekhinah and the people bring down God's presence. And so each of them play a role in a kind of leadership that does not empower the people. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's, I mean, that's... And, and we've seen in, in Sefer Bamidbar that Moshe's style of leadership is authoritarian, really. I mean, right. um, he, 
and the people have very little interaction with God. Um, like they, it's all through him. Um, and he, right, hence they freak out when he's like two hours late or six and, hours late. And, and, the, and then he lashes out at them. Um, he, in, in this partial, he lashes out at them right. um, somewhat unfairly, blames them for why he struck the rock. And it's not clear why it's their fault that he, why he strikes the rock. Right. Um, he's got a lot of anger, too. Yeah. That comes out a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what I heard in your comment about Yoshua. He, in that anger and rage, he, he, he doesn't have the emotional intelligence to deal with his own kind of emotions, and, and so he can't really be the leader who's going to be that ruach component that you were yeah. talking about with Yoshua. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, we don't, we read the Torah, we, we look towards Moshe and Aaron and Miriam. Yeah, of course. He's yeah, absolutely, absolutely essential. So, so I think that that's the, like, the, the, confu- or the, the, the challenge is to, how does the next generation, or Yehoshua and Eliezer, who was the Kohen, at least for the moment, the Kohen Gadol, and by the way, interestingly, there's no successor for Miriam. Um, right. uh, mm-hmm. How do they um, absorb all of the absolutely essential information and, um, and uh, instruction and guidance that comes from Moshe and Aaron and Miriam and, and, and not uh, sort of negate that and say, well, that was just the, the old people. Remember, that's what Nadav and Aviyu said when they, you know, one of the reasons why they were killed, says the Midrash, that they said, one of these old guys is going to die so we can take over, which is not a sign of like, we are, you know, simultaneously receiving from this previous generation and guiding the next generation. How do you, how do, you, how do, you do both of those at the same time? How does the older generation stay relevant? How does the middle generation stay so interested, or the leadership of the second generation stay interested in the in the lessons of the previous generation, and also communicate with the next generation? That's a really great question. I wonder how that translates then to the question that we um, had set out to talk about uh, about generational, um, you know, transfer of leadership. Um, what we often see in in our older generation right now of, of leadership is a lot of anger, also. Huh. Um, a, a lot of uh, kind of um, disdain for younger generations, lack of um, of commitment, lack of um, uh, engagement, engagement, adherence and, to the values that they assume are just like part right. of the course. And and the response is is from like the baby boom generation of leadership is is often and I don't want to make blanket statements, but often dismissive. Oh, they just don't care. Mm. They just don't care as much as we did. Mm. You know, we were committed. We built synagogues. We built institutions. We joined synagogues. We and joined. We paid our dues. Mm. They don't want to pay. They don't. They want everything mm. for free. You know, they're the birthright generation who mm. just got Judaism handed to them, and they don't value. So, how should we be responding if it's not? To, I mean, I, I, I'm like I, 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 I understand the tendency to be dismissive because mm-hmm. it's it's personally painful when yeah. values that you care so deeply about are not being shared. But obviously, being dismissive is is a you know I mean a completely uh, negative and pointless way to respond. So how should we be responding? And 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 the younger generation, I think, is saying Rav Lecha, you know, like right. you you the way you did that, you know, maybe you built synagogues, but they were vapid, empty vessels of of boring Judaism that turned us yeah. away and now you expect us to be committed to that <laughs> right, right, you know right. and I wonder if, if our generation might be and I don't you know I don't want to attribute too much to us but are we the Joshua generation that that can bridge that um, right. that divide and Good. what are those characteristics of Yeshua that that would allow us to do so that so bridging the divide is sort of really having um, 
a deep, deep respect for the past, but really looking to the future. And maybe it's what Gabrielle was saying before about uh, Ruchaniyut yeah. yes. and, and having, you know, that interpersonal connection that a lot of um, yeah. younger you know, right. Jews want out of their Judaism. Yeah, because we, when we were going to our parents' synagogues, you might have met the rabbi once or twice, but that was not the point, right? Well, the, the rabbi sort of stood as a yeah, meta figure and up on the bima, and we were kind of like, you know, he'd say good Shabbos to you. Maybe he remembered your name, uh, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't ruach, you know, on the level of like knowing each other. Um, I do want to point out a difference between, and I, obviously, I'm, I, I, uh, between the sort of Moshe Aaron and Miriam, and and sort of the vapid, empty structures that our uh, our parent generation built in terms of especially American Judaism, big buildings and big institutions that require all this funding. So you have to join a synagogue because we got to pay for this building that you don't even want anyway. Like the motion our own stuff is like it's potentially vapid if it's seen as vapid if someone doesn't come along and fill in the way that, that and I think that that's kind of like what you're saying sort of our, our middle generation here's job is to sort of help help our younger generation see that at least some of the old stuff is really good and really important and we have a role towards the previous generations we need to be able to say to Mrs. Rosenwald I know that you like the union Cedar. Right, I know the Union Prayer Book. I know that that's your favorite prayer book, but you know, we're not we're we're transitioning that out because there's a new generation here. It's not going to come, you know. And I think that those we, we stand as a, in a position to have a conversation, perhaps with with the the, the institution holders and with the potential engagees, as it were. And it's not just about the institutions; it's about the language that mm-hmm. that the institutions assume. You know, mm-hmm. whether that's about. Uh, about the sense of obligation, mm. whether it's the kind of a theological language that makes assumptions about prayer and mitzvot being, you know, mm-hmm. important in people's lives, not necessarily because they have a sense of inner meaning, but because it's what you do as a Jew, kind of thing. And and mm. so I think that's those are not assumptions we can make about this this young generation at all. And you know, I think a lot of a lot of people. And it's not even a generational thing in terms of age. I think it's where we are in our world right now. A lot of people f- feel Jewish, whatever that means. They want to be Jewish. They want to engage in Jewish ways, but they don't. You know, they don't want traditional religious stuff at, at all. And so, how do we, you know whether they're compelled by secu- secular humanism or whether just you know um, environmentalism, activism, whatever it might be. Um, we have to we have to hear those yeah. voices and, and be able to respond to them. Otherwise, we we will disappear into total irrelevance. Yeah. Well, we're here at camp with um, a whole lot of, um, especially I think about the staff. You know, mostly in their twenties. And um, what gives you hope when you when you look at that group? I mean, I think part well, one thing that gives me hope is is that question of um, you know. We talk about the anger or the resentment towards the younger generation. I think that they're kind of like the rasha at the at the seder that, that is asking the most interesting question of all, and is really underrated. You know, what does this mean to you? Like, why does this matter? And it's a really important question. And what and what you're saying, their activism, their engagement with social justice issues, with um, uh, you know, with seeking meaning and spirituality that may not look like like the older generation's version that is about commitment and halakha and chiyuv, yeah. um, 
they're asking the question, what does it mean? Like, right. and, and that question alone is, a, is an engagement of yeah. saying like, okay, show, show me. Right, yeah, to dismiss it as the question of the Rasha is so, is so awful. And the assumption that the Chacham, the wise child, is the one who wants to be engaged mm-hmm. in the text and all of that is also kind of crazy assumption. Right. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that honesty is something that, the integrity, and I think the openness, like if the, there's a sense there that if, if he gave a good answer or, 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 or responded in a way that was generative, it would be accepted. It would be something that would be sort of a valid, a valid conversation there, I think. Um, I do want to point out, by the way, that we are, you know, we were talking before about us as the Joshua generation, but now here we're talking about us as the kind of like the Moses, Aaron, Miriam generation, right? Which is like, we are the old people we, at this we camp, are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And we are not the people who are spending the most time with the campers. That's the staff. And those yeah. are the people who, um, who are here, which we're excited about. Uh, they are um, coming to us sometimes for, for guidance and how to build a program, how to approach, how to, how to respond to a certain question that a camper asked that we might not, that they might not have been able to field. And so we have this role as the old people to try to, uh, to give what we can in the right way to this middle generation and then hope that they can then use that as a way to respond to and guide the next generation, right? Yeah. Which I like as a, I like as a role. I like that every generation can stand both as a Moses Aramir generation right. and as a Joshua generation. Uh, depending on, um, you know, who, who they're talking to. And, and maybe that's part of the lesson here is that eventually we all become the Moses and Aaron and Miriam generation. And at some point we have to, you know, cede space to the next generation to, to do it their own way. Yeah. Um, I think we do have enormous privilege. However, I mean, not just white male privilege that we all happen to have here, but I think... We are in a profession where there is still a value placed in, in, in us as well. I mean, in some professions, forget you're over 50, you are done. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like, you know, in Boulder, we have, you know, the, this new Google Plex and there's like 3000 people there. I think the average age is like 25, you know, yeah. and you, I don't think that there's very few people there over 40. And it, it, that's a generational thing too. But I, I think still like it's mm-hmm. gratifying that some of these staff people in their 20s do actually look to us with a, with, with a sense of we do represent an access to part of the tradition that they do value actually and I feel I feel like it is a privilege to be in a mm-hmm. profession where age is we're not discriminated against for our age even though we do have to I think we do have to have that that wisdom to, to know when to step aside like I, I, I see some of the energy of these staff and I remember myself like you know I mean, not even 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I, I, you know, if I was in any kind of environment where there were lots of, I had to be front and center of everything. I had to be the one like leading the, everything, leading all the prayers, like standing on a chair, like shouting. And it's like, and it, there's something nice about the fact that I have like zero desire to be, I mean, I do enjoy leading stuff when I'm asked to lead stuff, but it's like, I'm certainly don't want to insert myself in places where I'm not invited. And that, I think that is part of a maturing of leadership when you recognize like, stepping Mm -hmm. back and creating a space for others for you know you were saying before you have like younger staff around you that you're empowering and you you also work with people younger than you i'm assuming yeah i have a lot of interns my job is a a decent amount of my job is actually training people who are then going to go out and do jewish life with their communities uh, their dorms their fraternities their sororities their extra whatever it would be their friend groups 
rather than me having FaceTime. I do also want to have FaceTime with the people that they are working with, but it's sort of uh, less of a priority than making sure they are well mm-hmm. trained and well supported to be able to provide an enjoyable you know, discussion or Shabbos dinner with mm-hmm. their people. Yeah. Um, that's something I want to I want to throw in on that. I I, I think. Uh, oh, so we were talking before about how you always see those rabbis as well who try to stay too hip for too long. Yeah. And it just like it just it's embarrassing on some level. You know, it's like it's not about active and enthusiastic. It's just about like they they think they're going to use certain words and like you know there's that they that people are going to still think that they're like young and valid. And I think some people can pull it off like forever and ever and ever because they are sort of timeless and they are genuinely tuned to people. And some people I think just like you just got a sense of like might be time for you to go emeritus you know it might, might be time for you to kind of like step back a little bit and, and make some space because you're you're you're, you're kind of em- embarrassing yourself by when you're trying that hard yeah. yeah when you're trying that hard to like you know be hip with the youth you know as it were i think that's a really important point and i hope that there are ways in which we can still be relevant to youth but i think the, the point is it's not by pretending that we're, that we're something that we're not right. you know and i think sometimes i see the gray hairs in my beard and i think you know and i want to have this impulse to want to not be gray and it, you know so the whole idea of you know pretending that we're still young it's different to saying actually in exactly who i am and the age that i am i can still yeah. relate to I hope people of all age. I mean, there are some, yeah. you know, I don't find middle school of the, an easy, like I, I, I do, I have this theory that the, the age we find hardest to teach is the age that we most struggled, struggled mm. with, you know, so it's like, yeah. I, I, I don't think I was a very happy middle school and I, I find teaching that age quite, but I love, um, I love working with the younger kids yeah. and I love working with young adults. Yeah. Um, and so I think that we can, we can still have those relationships. It's just, we're not trying to pretend to be them. We're, yeah. You know, it's partly, I think, maturing leadership is to just be grateful for who we are, you know. Be samech b'chalko, like, mm-hmm. to just right. accept gracefully, like, who we are and what our portion might be as leaders. One thing I like about what you do in your quote-unquote ministry is uh, that you go mountain biking oftentimes with your uh, with your congregants, right? Um, yeah, well, here, here I go mountain biking with, with, with campers. And I assume that you... We take uh, out we take out uh, B'nai Mitzvah kids. Uh, yeah, and I'm assuming you kind of kick their asses when you're when you're uh, when you're mountain biking. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's something that's like it's like you're yeah. you're like genuinely like a really good mountain biker, which I think is like which is a really cool piece. You know, it's like it's, like a, it's not something you're faking or whatever it is. That's just something that I think people are going to. Uh, I'm a better skier than mountain biker. Yeah, that's fair. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I find really gratifying. You know, when when I'm talking with these uh, staff members, um, they're. Uh, they're questions. They're um, they're really genuine, um, and I and I look back and I see. I remember myself as a young rabbinical student working at camp, not really knowing, you know, making some of those rookie mistakes of like putting yourself up up there too much, thinking that you have to do everything, and then Ravlachim. Yeah, and then having conversations with these younger staff to just ask the right questions, to ask a question of like, well, why are you doing it that way, or mm-hmm. what do you think you're going to accomplish. Um, and it, that's a, an important role for for us. So as, important as, yeah. for, for us as leaders rabbis. to help people, emerging leaders is yeah. is a vital role, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think what makes any engagement with Judaism authentic, and this gets back to kind of these generational breaks, is um, to the extent that you're in conversation with earlier generations, that you're engaged, whether it's mafarshim or um, right. I mean, that's what that's what like any you open a mikra gedolot and you're talking, and it's a it's an argument between. 
generations. It's all happening on one page, and these people didn't even Mepharsim, know each other. Mepharsim, just like, to it, clarify, the, the medieval commentators specifically, who all are often disagreeing with each other. Right, and when people ask me what makes an expression of Judaism authentic, um, it's not about whether or not you're following certain rules or not, or you're doing it, quote-unquote, traditionally. Um, but to the extent you're in conversation with earlier generations, when you're, when you're creating a Judaism that is totally just uh, divorced from the conversation, then, then it's idiosyncratic and disjoins it, right? right? Even if it's in opposition to, even if it's a rebellion against, but that you know what you're talking about and you know that you're talking to earlier generations and you may be talking back to them and you may be arguing against them and rejecting, but that you're engaged with earlier generations is... Absolutely. What, what makes an expression of Judaism authentic? Right. Absolutely. Is that Alternodox? <laughs> um, Alternodox <laughs> often, uh, yeah, so I have a publishing house called Alternodox and a website, and uh, Alternodox is um, hard to pin down sometimes. But <laughs> this it wouldn't is, be uh, a podcast if someone wasn't promoting something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out the website, you'll see more about what Alternodox is. Um, is there anything you want to promote? No, nothing. Okay, good. Uh, All I want to promote is this podcast. Yeah. If you enjoy these conversations, then share them freely with people you care about, because I, I think um, we're trying, the three of us, in our way, I mean, we're wrestling with this stuff. There is a, a fear that we might be sinking into irrelevance, but hopefully some of this conversation has been relevant and that there are ways in which leadership is always transitional. Um, in no way is anything we said supposed to be denigrating of, of, of these three amazing leaders each in their own way Moses, Miriam and Aaron they were of so vital function but the, the, the Torah is telling us that they it was transitioning into something else so it's just having that awareness and I mean the self-awareness and the discipline to know when to step back when to put ourselves forward how we empower the next generations and how we maintain a conversation that's relevant to people yeah. Any parting words? Thank you so much for hosting us. It's really wonderful. It's great to spend time with you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys. Enjoyed this very much. All the best, all you leaders out there. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.